When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. We're making roast rabbit. The nice thing is it's not like the wild rabbit. The, the caged rabbit, It's there's not much flavor to it. It's almost like chicken, right? It's, it's a very bland flavor unless you actually do some cooking with it. But I would make soups with it. I was it, it fed our family well. I wouldn't say we had it every night, but like we were making sausage with it. My rabbit burgers were to kill for it. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Thanks to COVID, supply chains have been compromised. Our food security is in question. Now might be a good time to start thinking about growing our own food. Stephen W. Briggs is a self-described urban farmer, a former martial artist, cyclist, remote viewer, and the author of a work of fiction titled Family of Killers, Memoirs of an Assassin, which will be published January 13th, 2022. Hey, Stephen, welcome. How are you? Great, Richard. How are you? Very well. Urban farming. How, how big a plot of land do we need to sustain? First of all, how big is your family? Uh, so we, I have four. So there's me and my wife and my two boys. Okay. And we have a couple dogs. <laughs> all right. And you can sustain your family on your urban plot, just just eating what you grow. Obviously, we have to do groceries and stuff for certain things. But yeah, so what, what we I live in a piece of I live in the middle of town, more or less, on a seventy by one hundred and thirty foot piece of property. Um, I was running I was running a, about an eight hundred square foot vegetable garden. 
So what we would do is in 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 the spring, uh, usually in February, I, I get my grow lights out, and my neighbors probably thought I was all growing pot and stuff. But uh, I get the grow lights out, and I'd start with my onions and my celery seeds and stuff. I grew everything from the first the first year we did it. Obviously, we bought plants from a garden center, right. and you don't know what's in it. And um, if we want to take a step back, what actually started all this for us was my my oldest son had a grade six uh, project to do about food um about where your food comes from about how healthy your food actually is and stuff so once we were kind of helping him out with that project we started looking at ourselves and wondering okay so like the beef that we're eating the 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 pork that we're eating the even the vegetables we're eating right the bananas and all that and this is going back to probably 2007 2008 where you didn't just go into a grocery store and get organic food the way you can now um it was it was definitely a uh, different time back then for for organic food so we started looking at it. So the first year we, we did a little smaller plot and we did some tomato plants, the same that everyone does, your tomato right. plants, a couple of pepper plants, you know, your, your, your zucchini that seems to be able to multiply time over time. Like if, if there's one, if there's one plant in the garden that uh, everybody seems to be able to give away, it's zucchini plants. Um, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you can always give away zucchini. So, so you started so with we, a, yeah, just a few them. plants and then you gradually expanded your garden to the point where it's now 800 square feet. So Correct. like, it's what, about 800 tw- square feet. like 20 by 40. Roughly. Yeah. I got it in two different plots kind of thing. One at the side yard, one at the backyard. Right. Um, so we have tomato plants and, and I'll, I'll like, I've got my cherry tomato plants so we can just kind of pluck a couple while, while we're out in the garden and then you've got your other tomato plants that we'll make salsa with we'll make um, sauces with all kinds of things like that we have our pepper plants so we i would start all that by seed in in february starting with my onions and my celery and then in march i would i would start st- start stepping it up with my tomato plants my cucumbers zucchini so by the time may came around i was ready to go for all those plants that aren't as hardy and then in the meantime i would get the soil turned I would then uh, I would then plant my beets. I would plant my um, my root my root vegetables, which would then sometimes some some summers that we've had, I've been able to get two actual plantings of those of those items. So it takes a lot of work. I will I will admit, like that's the worst. The first thing to to think about, uh, you know, for the listeners and stuff is it's not like it's it's something you can just kind of plant and forget about right you're out weeding you're out working sure you're 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 doing you're you know so the nice thing was my kids were young so we had them involved so their friends would come over we had my one my youngest son he had one friend come over and he was confused that a tomato was grown on a plant oh my so yeah he thought they came in cans yeah you know like just strange things like that so we did the garden for probably about three years, and like I said, I expanded it out, and I would, I would, I would have my little kind of corner off to the one side where I do my experimental plants and stuff, just to see what you could grow, um, you know, some strange, some different vegetables that you know just weren't maybe your standard vegetables that you would get. Um, all my seeds were always organic, and like I said, grown. We, we I took care of the soil, and and the weeding and stuff. So. We went from that, and we, then we started looking at the beef and the meat and stuff we were buying in the grocery stores. So the next the next step we took was I had a buddy who grew up on a rabbit farm. So we got talking and, and, and uh, humming and hawing, and we were joking about I had some space in my garage. And he goes, you know what? You could easily put some rabbits in here, um, some meat rabbits. And from there, you could obviously then expand out. So <laughs> it was, it was I'll never forget, we went and picked up cages from his dad's farm. 
it was like the the worst. It was like a December, one of the worst December nights we could do it. It was windy. It was snowing. It was it was it was uh, hailing and all that. So we went and picked these cages up. I got them set up, and I picked up uh, I picked up a male and three females. So these are New Zealand breed um, rabbits. Right. So they're white and they got like blood red eyes. They're they're the craziest looking rabbits. Um, so we started with them. I got them comfortable started working with them a bit um so then the first of january i did my first breeding set so you bring the male you put the male in with the female and, and they breed um and like clockwork i think it's 32 days right right at pretty much right at the 32 day mark you have your babies um so the one thing you learn about animal taking care of animals is some mothers are good some mothers are not so good just cause like humans right, right. so some of the mothers I kept. Some of the mothers you would you would butcher off. Um, but yeah, so so we so we would usually get anywhere from eight to twelve babies, and it would take three months to grow these babies from um, from like newborn right. all the way up to to breeding breeding our, our eating eating weight kind of thing. And have you so had you ever would, Stephen had you ever butchered a rabbit before? Had you ever had to kill a, a rabbit before? Um. Not on purpose. <laughs> all right, we'll leave with my car. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I think we've all so, done it. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you? What did you just find a YouTube video to learn how to do that? Or so, so luckily, my buddy who grew up in the rabbit farm, they did their, they did a lot of their own butchering for around the help for themselves too. So, so he came over and it took a little bit of practice, but he kind of got the, the 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 hang of it again and showed me. Um, I, I'll never forget doing my first one. It was definitely a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, like you go from, I grew up in the city, I, I, you know, like I said, the only animals that I've really ever hurt would have been with my car, you know, with, with a rabbit running across the street or a raccoon or something at night, um, to, to taking rabbits out of these cages that you have, you have, you've raised from the day they were born, right? Like, I, like you got to remember these, it's, it's really, this is the real tough part I think about farming is you take these animals, you, you've been with them from the day they were born to the day they die. Right. And you know, you're raising them, you're feeding them well, you're watering them, you're taking care of these animals. And then the day comes that you would, you getting up and, um, I'll be honest, there, there was, I would try to do it on a Saturday morning, right? Get up, get up on a Saturday morning early and, and begin the process. And I'll be honest, there were some Saturday mornings I got up and it's just, I didn't have the heart to do it. And you would, you would back away and you would wait the next week or whatever. How do you, how do you dispose of them? So, um, what we would do is what I would do is you, you would, you would, I take a baseball bat, you would knock them out kind of thing. And then you would, you know, take, bleed them out from there and you right. would hang them and then you rabbit skin is it's almost designed to come off the rabbits as crazy as that sounds but it's really easy to i know i've seen videos i've seen videos right yeah you just peel it right off in one piece amazing yeah so the funny thing is once the more i got into the butchering part of it i got quicker at it and my dogs got the idea that i was butchering and they Uh got excited right because i would usually give them maybe the liver or um because because we were trying to feed the dog like like I have a, a my my one English setter Basil, he's 14 years old and he's still really healthy and he was pretty much raised on on our chickens eggs and on our rabbits so so obviously he's you know he's, he's having a good life because uh, their life expectancy isn't that long but um so yeah so we would butcher these rabbits and the dogs would kind of get excited because I would freeze the rabbit ears and that would be their treat out in the, on the deck or whatever but the butchering side is it it's it definitely takes a little bit of, of 
little bit of heart kind of thing to do, right? Because um, you want to make sure you do it quickly. You want to. You, it's all about the respect of the animal, of course. in my mind, right? And, of course. And, and the way I look at it too is, these animals we've raised them, and they're now going to feed my family. So you want to you want to be you want to give them that final goodbye, and you want to do it as quick as possible. So so that's what we would do. And I had it honestly, I had it down to about five minutes from from taking them from the garage down to the basement and, and doing the butchering and putting them in the freezer. Um, it's actually a very like I said, rabbits are very simple to skin and to 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 gut and stuff. Um, and then, uh, so from there, we, from there, like, like I said, so I had the three females, so you would just kind of keep rotating every month. You would breed, you would raise, and you would, you would kill. Right. And then eventually you replace the, uh, the breeding pair with, and, and butcher yep, them. Yeah, younger ones. Right, right. Yep. yep. How do you make sure, uh, so usually okay, no, how do you make ahead. sure you're, you're not, do you have to be mindful of like interbreeding and does that, is that important when you're eating the animal? Not with not with these rabbits, no. Um, that's kind of nice. I would I, every once in a while I would always be like, I, the cool thing is about having the rabbits and stuff. You kind of get to meet other people that have rabbits, so you can. So what I would do is every year I would grab say I would trade a male off with a, with with one of the other you know with another farmer or something, right? Um, or a couple of females. So so you, we would try every year. I'd try to bring in new fresh blood. I guess is the best right, way to put right. it. Um, so at one point I was I was at one point I had about 40 50 rabbits going in the garage um, because I just expanded out and like cause we were using it for everything we were grinding it up we were making I have I have an amazing set of recipes for rabbit um, right we were making rabbit burgers we were we were making roast rabbit there you name it you, like the nice thing is it's 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 not like the wild rabbit, the, the, the caged rabbit, it's, there's not much flavor to it. It's almost like chicken, right? It's, it's a very bland flavor unless you actually do some cooking with it. But I would make soups with it. I was, it, it was, it, it fed our family well. Um, I wouldn't say we had it every night, but like we were making, we were making sausage with it. Uh, like I said, there, there's plenty of recipes online. I have plenty still on my iPad. Um, where you can my, my my rabbit burgers were to kill for kind of thing <laughs> um so we had the rabbits we had the we had we had the rabbits for about three years and um we then expanded the city of the city i live in all of a sudden allowed hens so we went and met a few people that had some hens in their house and in their backyard and we went decided to go get ourselves i think we started off with five hens so i built myself a coop made it just a four by eight i made a nice big coop for them but a four by eight coop uh, made it look like a barn right like you know did it up nice so it didn't it wasn't an eyesore to my neighbors and stuff we uh we got our hens and we started having eggs and that was amazing um when you see when you see an, an, an organic healthy chicken laying an egg compared to the eggs we get in the stores it's night and day how do you get right? the chickens like the, to lay egg, how do you get chickens to legs in the cold weather so i kept heaters in the i kept heaters in the in the pen in 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 the um hen house kind of thing um which worked for most of it because once once you get the extreme temperature same as with the rabbits it was harder to get them to breed in the summer with the extreme heats and stuff so there would be times when we would have like that mine. Like if we, if we had extended days that was minus 10 and below, I'd bring them into the, the garage with the rabbits and just kind of let them kind of have a, their area in there. Um, but for the most part, they stayed outside all winter. I would shovel out their little pen area and they were pretty good in the winter. They, they, 
the, the hens I had, they were very consistent with, um, very consistent with laying, you know, you got one a day pretty much from, from all these hens. So we were averaging at one point we had 12 hens. So we were averaging a lot of days, 12 eggs a day. Um, and then I was bringing them into work obviously, and people were buying them and, um, share, I was sharing them with other people. What about predators? Yeah, so, what about predators, Stephen? Raccoons, weasels? That's why you have the two dogs. Ah, okay. <laughs> so the nice thing is, uh, my neighbor, he had a vegetable garden too, and all his lettuce would get eaten. All his, you know, ground kind of like the beets, the leaves off the beets and stuff would get eaten by rabbits and all that, but they never came to our backyard because we had two, like, they're house dogs, but they were outside all the time, especially in the summer outside with the family. So they took care of the predators, um, not that there was any on the property. They, the, the, the most we would get is a squirrel running across the top of the fence, just kind of teasing the dogs in a way, right? Um, and we still get the squirrels doing that. But yeah, we we never had the we never had the issues with the rabbits or any, anything like that. Um, with the chickens, we would have the odd mouse here and there, and that's whenever you realize these chickens are quite the animal to watch when they were chasing a ra- uh, when they were chasing a mouse through their pen or whatever, because they became like little dinosaurs. It was amazing (laughs) to see. (laughs) So with all this going on in the household, um, we raised the kids with it. So my, my oldest son had the chickens. He was responsible for feeding and watering them every day and collecting the eggs. My younger son was responsible for the rabbits. So he was responsible for twice a day. He would, he would feed the rabbits. Um, I had an automatic watering system. I'm a plumber. So I had a toilet tank up high. And it just gravity fed water to the to the cages, so you didn't have to worry about filling bottles every day. The only time we, we ever had we had a we had one where we had a bit of a, a freeze up, so we had to go with bottles for for a day or two while I, I kind of fixed up some of the, some of the frozen pipes. But for the most part, it was all just gravity fed through a toilet tank, um, and then the kids fed them and took care of them. Were you raising the chickens kind of- uh, just for eggs, or did you also butcher chickens? No, I didn't. We looked at doing the meat chickens, but they're a lot of work, and it's it, it was yeah. We just we just did the hens for for eggs and stuff. We didn't bother with the the meat chickens. The funny thing is, though, the city at one point was looking at handing out permits for goats, really? and we considered getting a goat. Yeah, I don't think they ever went through with it because I never I never did hear of anyone getting one. You wanted to go for the milk talking. for the milk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which that's a, that's cool. an acquired taste, goat milk. Yes, it certainly is. <laughs> but like, it's one of those things where, like I said, if you if you remember, I'm not living on a farm. I'm living in a city, and that's I had all that going on, right? So the busiest time of year for us was always like end of August, early September. Uh, we would can like 400 jars of of, of vegetables. Um, we would pressure can some stuff. I'd make some uh, soups and pressure can uh, some soups. We would obviously everyone makes their beets, right? Right. That's a now that's a lost art. Canning. Walk us through that process because you have to know what you're doing. You have to do it properly to seal it properly. Otherwise, you know, you get botulism. Yeah, yeah. So um, the one the one thing I made we used to make two hundred jars of salsa, right? So we would gather up all our peppers and I had all I, I like I said, this isn't something you just do on the whim kind of thing. Like this is what are we we're almost into October. If you were to if you were to thinking of doing this next year, you should be planning your garden now because you want to like it's, it's easy to just plant your tomatoes, plant your peppers, and all that. But if you don't have a plan of what you're going to do with them, all of a sudden you're going to have a hundred tomatoes, you're going to have you know fifty 
50, uh, like I said, zucchinis and, and cucumbers. And if you don't have a plan of what you're going to do with them, they're just going to they're just going to rot. Right. So so we would all, I would always plan out even like even planting my seeds in the spring, I would plant out my timing. So I wouldn't plant all my cucumber plants, say, the first week of March. I would plant half my cucumber plants in uh, pots in the first of March. And I do another safe set in the first of April and maybe even try to squeeze another one in, you know, beginning of May. So you had three harvests of, of cucumbers saying, you know, because they were fairly quick as opposed to tomatoes and peppers that you, you need the whole summer, like up here, we need the whole summer. Right. Um, so if you planned it out, well, excuse me, you could, then you could have your pickles, you could have your, your salsa, you could have your, your sauces. Um, so yeah, so the, the biggest trick about, about all that is you got to make sure you can't, your jars are clean, your, your glass jars are clean. Um, you we always use new lids with the new sealer lid. Um, I know some of the other people, some of the older generation would actually try to recycle those and there's no guarantee. So they cost, they're, they're five bucks for like 24 or whatever. Right. So it's all about boiling water. It's all about bringing everything up to temperature. Right. So, so when I made my uh, salsa, I'd make it in a big uh, pot. You'd, you'd get it boiled. You get it all up to temperature. You would put it in the put it in the jars. You you would set it all up in the jars, and then you would reboil. And usually we would reboil for twenty minutes, um, and then that makes the seal of the lid. Uh, you would put. It's funny because you put them out on the counter as you're doing them, and about two three hours after that, you hear the pop 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 of the cans, right? Of the seal the actually lids. doing yeah. that. Yeah, doing that final seal. And you might hear that all night long, some nights, depending how long, you, you know, how late you go in the evening, you could be sitting, you know, you'd be going to bed and just keep hearing the pop, 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 pop all the way through. So the, the main thing with that is, is obviously boiling your water, getting, getting your, getting all of that, all the, 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 the whether it's pickles, whether it's, it's just stewed tomatoes, or whatever, getting them up to temperature in the, in, in a boiling pot of water for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It depended on the, the acidity of, of what you were making, right? Obviously, tomatoes are, are quite acidic, so you you have to do them a little bit longer than you would uh, like a, a, a pickle. Um, and then we would make jams. Um, we would make we 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 make everything. It's like the like we try not to have any waste. Uh, we definitely make salads. Like there's nothing better than sitting down at supper with your family, and everything on your plate. You you pretty much had a hand in, right? Whether you started with the seed or whether you started as a baby, it's all sitting there on your plate and you've had total control of all that food from day one. More of my conversation with Stephen W. Briggs when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain access to premium episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. 
urban farmer, author, remote viewer Stephen W. Briggs is here. So you've got fresh eggs every morning. You've got rabbit mm-hmm. meat. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're supplementing because you can't grow everything. You you know you need maybe right. coffee. You need sugar. You you don't you need milk. Yep. Um, do you supplement with some other protein? Maybe you occasional pork or beef or. Yeah, yeah. So, so we would, we would. Uh, I had, I had one, one friend that that still owns a farm, and we would buy half a cow from him, right? Grass fed, grass finished, same as the pig. We buy a whole pig, um, and then, you know, he would take some of our eggs, whatever. We would do trading off, like, like I said, I would always have enough cans. I, I, I couldn't. I probably could have started my own little cannery for my salsa with with the way I made it and stuff, right? So he would, you know, he would take a, a handful of, of that as well. And then we, we would pay for, for, you know, the difference kind of thing with the meat. Um, so, yeah, so it's not like you're fully sustainable, but it makes you more aware of what's actually out there, right? So so we, we, we don't buy our... We don't buy any meat from the grocery store. Uh, we might go to the St. Jacob's Market and buy some meat there and stuff. But for the most part... It's it's dealing directly with farmers. It's dealing it's dealing with our own stuff. It's dealing directly with farmers, things like that. Um, knowing knowing where your food's coming from. I know that's kind of like a bit of a cliche nowadays, but back in 2010, it was right. We, I, I had a lot of people wondering, right? So, for someone who who is contemplating this, and now of course with COVID and supply chains becoming uncertain, oh. people are thinking about. You know, getting mm-hmm. back to what our ancestors took for granted, and that is, you know, securing their own food supply. If you had an acre, let's say, or you have an eight hundred foot plot, mm-hmm. what what are the uh, what are the plants, the crops that everybody should have, you know, to make sure that you're getting all of your different food groups and and so forth? What what, what would you put in that garden? I, like I said, I keep a variety. So I, I have tomatoes. I have cherry tomatoes. I have. Um, I have Roma tomatoes, like I've got st- tomatoes for stewing tomatoes. I've got five or six different peppers. I've got my cucumbers, my zucchini, lettuces, carrots. Carrots are amazing, right? Carrots and onions. Onions are a little, around here, they can be a little difficult to grow. Like I said, you have to start, if you're going to go buy seed, you have to start those seeds in February. So they take a lot more work. Um, but if you just keep to your basic vegetables, like, it, it, you know, like your, your squashes, um, we would grow watermelon. And the kids would love the watermelon, right? They'd have friends come over. You, you'd pull a watermelon off the vine and just cut it right there. It's amazing to taste. Beans, right? Uh, I got all oh, beets for sure. Like all, oh, yeah, you like your your turnips, your beets, your rutabaga, all those things that it's it's more or less everyone's taste, right? Like I had a friend that had a vegetable garden, and he had a whole bunch of different things that I would have had. So we would kind of switch off as uh, well, right? Barter. But he just had he just liked. He just liked what he, he, he liked different vegetables, right? Certain things appealed to him that just didn't appeal what to him. What about snap like, peas? Loved, snap peas and beans. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, peas. I always, yeah, beans beans and peas for sure. I love my, like, a lot of times the peas didn't make it into the house, right? I'd have my sons out there picking the peas and they'd be putting more in their mouth than they would, you know, into the into the bowl kind of thing. Yeah, like 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 I said, it's, it's almost hard to, to re- I, I meant to write down, I meant to have my little notebook of, of what I, I planted last year and stuff. Um. But yeah, like 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 I said, it's what you like and it's what you know you're going to use because at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the season when it all comes to harvest, you have to have a plan of what you're going to do with it because if you've got six or seven pea plants, you're not going to eat them all at once. 
so you either have to freeze them, you have to prepare them, or you give them out to friends and, and get something in return, right? So, um, like my one my one buddy, he loved he loved the like beans and stuff. So he he couldn't grow enough bean plants. I'm not a big bean fan, so I would grow if I had a little bit of extra space. I'd grow him some bean plants too, and I trade them off for some tomatoes or or from some peppers or whatever, right? So it's the one thing I did learn, and being a plumber, you you know you can imagine the whole bartering system as 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 as, it go, as you grow up anyway. But the one thing I did learn is you could definitely trade with people. Um, like I said, my you get to know people. So for a couple of years there, we were actually planning out three gardens instead of just my garden. So I would say, okay, I will do I will do thirty five. I'll do forty tomato plants. You guys do you know 40 cucumber plants kind of thing and then we'll just kind of we'll split it up as, as evenly as possible at the end of the year so once you it, there there is a little bit of a community out there and and they're great people and once you get to know them same as with the rabbits and stuff like with the rabbits with the chickens it once people get to know what you're into and you kind of you know bond with those people it's quite easy to to start trading off and bartering for for uh, other things right so so you want to have steaks, you know, one night, you can trade off a couple rabbits for, you know, a few steaks or whatever. Um, eggs are the easiest thing to, to trade. Everyone loves eggs. Right. And all the chicken and right. the rabbit manure going into the garden? Yeah. So actually, uh, yeah. So so that was another thing I had going in the rab- with the rabbits was I actually had worms, uh, red wigglers. And if anyone remembers WKRP, they were a big sponsor on WKRP. That's right. Or- yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, uh, so I had my red wigglers and all our compost would go into the, into the, the, I had like a, it was probably like a six by four bin and all my compost from our food waste would go into there. The rabbit waste, especially in the winter, I would, I would just wheelbarrow it into the backyard and dump it in my backyard, right? Just on top of the snow, we'll let it melt in. I tell you, I had carrots that were like, you know, 14 inches long every year because the soil was just so rich. Um, I would throw a, I would kind of spread out some of the red wigglers in, in the spring because you'd have so many of them in the bin from from all the compost and stuff. Um, it worked, yeah. Like I had, I hate this. I had that whole circle of life kind of thing right, going, right. right? You know, it, which which like I said, it's it's a lot of work. Um, so if any of the listeners are thinking of doing it, consider your time. Um, but when you get that whole circle of life going and when it's all going well, like, you know, we, we had some bad times with the rabbits where, where, you know, you had, uh, um, there, there's cert- just certain things just go wrong, right? You'd have stillbirths and all that. And, you know, you, you, you might think you're getting eight rabbits and you realize the mother only had one or, you know, things happen in nature where, where the mother isn't a good mother, like I said before, and, and she turns on her kids kind of thing. Right. So it was all about timing and making sure that, that they got enough time with their mother to get the milk and the nourishment from her but once they started eating on their own you would you would move them out of the cage right just because it gets crowded and you you want to make sure the mother's comfortable right because she's your long-term goal um same as the father the, the males and stuff right um but yeah so we had that whole circle of life going where the the waste was going into the garden the garden was was growing the 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 garden was growing the vegetables. Um, some of the vegetables were actually feeding the the chickens and rabbits, right? Because I would weed, like, you know, I'd go out through on a Saturday morning and weed the garden and have, like, two big bins, and I would feed the rabbits and feed the chickens the weeds, right? Because <laughs> everyone thinks weeds, they throw them away, they're no good. Right. 
some of the weeds that you, that we have around, like dandelions, is one of the, like the, the most like the rabbits couldn't get enough dandelions. You you pull that whole root and stuff out and you put it in there, they go nuts for it. Um, but just any like some of the pigweed and stuff like that, that's just you know that that nuisance stuff that everyone seems to think is a problem is actually really good nourishment for the animals. Right. Do you also do you have fruit trees and berries and things? We have an apple tree. Um, it's finicky. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot of work. Uh, yeah, they're they're a lot of work too, and and you got to prune them every 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 fall, and if you don't do it right, you don't get the the, the yield. So we've had a we've had our apple tree probably for six years now, and I think we've had maybe three years of like a good solid. The other problem is too with my dogs, they figured out that the apple tree is also free food. Right, right. So they will. You, I have photos of my dog, like kind of with the head turned, pulling an apple off the branch and <laughs> stuff too. So yeah, same as this. Like we grew sunflower seeds the one year, and I had like these massive 12, 12 inch like sunflower seed heads, or sunflower heads, and I didn't really pay attention for a couple of days, and then the squirrels came and took it all. <laughs> the one day I looked, and the whole plant was bent over, and there was three squirrels hanging off of it. So what's happening now with your garden? Because we're getting into, uh, we have a, a, a garden in the backyard and we're getting down to the last of the tomatoes. We don't do any canning. Um, we had a, um, uh, a sugar baby watermelon. Although when mm-hmm. we opened it up, I don't know what happened. Maybe it didn't get enough sun. It was all white inside and it tasted just like cucumber. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been the sun. Um, so right now I have Brussels sprouts going still because um, you kind of keep them going until frost. Kale. Uh, kale will go I've had kale go right through like I've had kale up until January really if we don't get a heavy snow and stuff yeah it's it's pretty hardy so it can take some good frost it can take some some freezing temperatures and stuff Brussels sprouts like I said they're growing right now they've I've topped them so I've more or less broken off the top so they don't grow out anymore so now they're they're filling the Brussels sprouts um they could be picked now but you, if I usually let them get one hearty frost into them, and it's it just pulls that sugar out, and man, oh man, do they ever taste good? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know? Wow, you're so, a seasoned a seasoned veteran now. How how did you did you grow up on a farm? How did you learn all of this? More or less, like I said, going back to the beginning, it started with with just that one project that my kids had, and uh, talking to people. Like I said, that community that you you, you kind of learn from right so talking to people a little bit of internet stuff but not a whole lot um most of it was just community getting to you know going to like seed shares and stuff right so you you bring you know you buy a packet of seeds and you're getting a hundred tomato seeds tomato plant seeds but you don't need all that right if you're going to put eight plants in the seeds will like what i used to do is i used to i would put them in the fridge and then you could use them the next year and stuff too but then you can you can go to this community seed share and you can pick up that's where that's where i'd use my like little experimental corner of my garden because you go to these seed shares you're going oh that's interesting i wouldn't mind trying to grow that or you know and you know so you, so that's where you would kind of do those little experiments and some of the stuff was great some of the stuff was not so good right right um and and it was all experimental so we would grow like a green lettuce we would grow you know romaine lettuce stuff like that too so so you, like i said Lettuce is one of those things that's really finicky. It'll grow quick, but if you don't pull it and, and use it quick, you'll lose it pretty it, – it dies off fairly quick as well, right? It just kind of goes to flower, and then you've right. lost it. Right. Um, so with with your garden, are you 
you like you're eating obviously a certain portion through the uh, you know the summer into the fall and then you're freezing or canning so with the, the stuff that you're freezing and canning is that enough to more or less sustain you through the winter spring into the next summer yeah it the salsa never did <laughs> i'll be honest the salsa went pretty quick especially around playoff season for the nfl and stuff right so right it would disappear pretty quick um but the relishes would yeah the relishes would, would last um because we would do a zucchini relish you know all kinds of relishes like that the jams would always last because um, that's one of the things we would trade stuff off and we would get a big bushel of raspberries or a big bushel of, of strawberries and make we would spend the day making jam um so yeah so a lot of stuff would last throughout the winter, but certain little things that were like just like the beets, you know, like we would make, we would jar our beets and, you know, you'd have friends over and that would always be like a staple that you would put on the dinner table kind of thing. And they would go pretty quick as well. Um, no matter how many I made, like I would, I would do rows of beets and, and, you know, you could jar, we would jar like 150 jars of beets kind of thing. And, you know, people are walking out the front door with them in their arms going, hey, thanks, we'll bring the jars back when we're done, right? So, yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's like it's one of those things where, like I said, it's that community. Um, you can make it last, but like I said, it's all about planning now to, to prepare for next year. But, um, yeah, my salsa, didn't matter how much I made. It was usually gone by, you know, Super Bowl weekend, <laughs> if well, not if by October Bowl weekend. If things go south, uh, you're you're ready for the uh, for the apocalypse, I guess. You're, uh, uh, yep. you're you're prepared. Let's just spend a few minutes in the time that remains, Steve. Tell us about your book, Family of Killers: Memoirs of an Assassin. This is a work of fiction, I hope. Yes, it certainly is a work of fiction. I've been asked that many times. Um, yeah, it's a work of fiction. It, it it's it's it actually kind of grew in my head. Um, you mentioned before that I was in martial arts and stuff, and I, I, I had a concussion. And all of a sudden, this character really just kind of popped out into my head and stuff after the concussion. Um, so I started building a story and stuff, and next thing you know, I've got 170,000 words in front of me, and I'm going, what do I do with it, right? Um, so it was a book, and like it was planned out, but it's, a, it's, a, it's about a character. The main character's name is David. Uh, it starts off, the, the book starts in 1977 when he's pulled out of his bed. Um, his dad's also an assassin and, and he was, he was uh, discovered on a job. He was doing a job for the British military and uh, to take out an IRA member over in Northern Ireland. And uh, his balaclava got pulled off, so he was identified and there was a bounty put on his head. So his, his, David's grandfather um, who was SAS and stuff, they moved him to Canada where he had a business partner uh, in Guelph and uh, they ran a plumbing business to kind of cover up all the other businesses that they did run. So David grew up training through his grandfather in Northern Ireland for, through his father here in Canada and he became an assassin so he was working for the CIA and so he was doing hits for that. Um, there's this the one character in the book um, is kind of the guy that identified his father back in 1977 kind of intertwines himself throughout the storyline of the book um, interfering with the family on jobs doing things like that and then at the end uh, the, the book uh, kind of works out that, that David finally gets the David's mission you know when he's not working for governments doing doing hits and, and jobs like that his mission is to find this 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 guy this this bomb maker that identified his father and and uh, at the end of the book, they, they kind of get to meet together and only one of them walk away satisfied. All right. And how do we get a copy? Well, it's out in January. How, how will we get a copy? So, 
so pre-sales right now are on Amazon. Um, uh, so Amazon.ca if you're in Canada, Amazon.com in the states. They're also in Barnes and Noble in the states. Uh, they're in they're on all Amazons across the world. So if you're in Australia, if you're in if you're in Dubai, if you're in London, England, uh, your your local Amazon or your your country's Amazon will have a copy of the book available. Uh, like you said, it comes out January thirteenth. Yeah. Family of Killers, Memoirs of an Assassin. Stephen Briggs, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Happy gardening. Yes, thank you. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>